Well, I think the first thing that you can do if you're not connected with a therapist already, not just utilize a therapist to, you know, for your own needs, but you can also utilize a therapist to learn ways and skills to address these issues. This is the Brother Be Well podcast. We're focused on mental health needs for boys and men of color, including trauma and healing. This podcast series is sponsored by Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative. Get ready for real talk. And to our parents and caregivers, listen up, y'all. Hi, I'm Michael P. Coleman, content director for Brother Be Well. Today, we're discussing the stigma around mental health that unfortunately is still held by many in our families and communities. Stigma around mental health is holding us back, I think, and it's keeping us from healing. So we're gonna dig into the issue and outline ways in which we can mitigate or eliminate altogether stigma, especially that stigma that has set up shop in our own families. My partner for today's conversation, and I can't think of a better person to help me explore this one, Christian Jacobs is a marriage and family therapist and he's a Brother Be Well clinical advisor, and I'm proud to say he's a buddy of mine. What up, Christian? Hey, how's it going, Michael? Really good to see you going well. Let's get into this one, sir, if you don't mind. First of all, could you Absolutely. define stigma for those watching and listening? How would you define stigma? You know, I would, des- I would describe and define stigma as a stink, right? Stigma leaves a stink. It leaves an um, a, a odor or some type of aroma that's not pleasant. You know, um, when you think about uh, mental health due to, you know, the societal disapproval of, you know, or when society, I shouldn't say society, society and cultures place shame on people who live with a mental illness, you know, or seek help for emotional distress, uh, such as anxiety, depression, and bipolar, PTSD, and also, you know, uh, shows when people in society or culture puts a level of, um, you know, downing and talking negative about an individual um, who's, you know, vulnerable or weak as well, which then leads individuals not to seek treatment. So that's how I would sum up uh, stigma in a nutshell. And I'm not, as you summed up that nutshell, Christian, I, I could see former versions of myself. Luckily, I can say decades ago, but I contributed at one point in my life to the stigma around mental health in my own family and community. I'm not proud of that, but it's, it's true. And I think many people do without even realizing it. So we'll get at some of that in a second. I appreciate that description. And it being a stink, I won't forget that one for a while. That's a powerful statement. And I think you're spot on with it. So really appreciate that. What are what are some of the factors, Christian, that influence stigma around mental health? What are some of the things that lead to it? You've touched on a few of them, but let's get into that a little bit more. Yeah, I, I think um, when you talk about community and family and culture, I think the first thing is that culture community bias. And that's a, it's a structural thing, right? So you're looking at the individuals who have the most influence on your life. So that's the first part that really influences stigma around mental health, how you were raised, how it was talked about, how mental health was dealt with in your home uh, with your spouse or your, you know, your significant other, your partner, your children. Um, also, institutional and structural racism that's been you know, um, talked about within the healthcare system. You know, we've talked about that several times, and it's also in several other literatures, you know, how, they, uh, how the nation has uh, announced and basically um, have done, has done an announcement that, you know, this is a, a public health crisis with these institutional racism and, and health inadequacies. So that's another area, too, and the lack of information to the community, 
communities of color as well. So you look at the information, the benefits, and also the, um, the benefits of that treatment and the lack of representation of providers. So that's another area too. So in that community shame, so you're looking at the isolation of others and, um, and the family because the different. So uh, a lot of times in, in communities of color, you know, when there's a, when there, when there's a uh, family member who's a little, um, I say, say different, right? That's all they leave it as. They don't, you know, uh, sometimes they don't try to help them or they, they leave them in the room for hours. They call them, that's the special cousin. You know, or you know, they allow him to be a hermit instead of uh, providing help. So I think those are a lot of the areas that really influence, you know, the stigma around mental health. It's the lack of knowledge. Yeah, and that's what Brother Rewell is all about. I mean, we were conceived and and um, launched about two years ago. We launched this platform just a year ago, and we're all about providing information, educating people. When you say a lack of education, it's something easy, relatively easy to get at. It it can be kind of time consuming. But it's a matter of just educating yourself, reading as much as you can, watching videos like this one or listening to podcasts like this one. So appreciate your time and, and you're helping us to really get at this, Christian. Really appreciate it. Can you talk about t- today some of the potential effects of stigma? So we've talked about what it is. What can it lead to if, if it's allowed to go unchecked? Wow. So the symptoms and the outcomes of stigma. Uh I would, I would really start saying, you know, first you're looking at the unresolved trauma. So you have that, that, um, that unresolved trauma. So as a result of, you know, the grief and mental health symptoms and conditions. So for, I'll give you an example. Um, at a young age, maybe a, a child could have been showing signs of autism, right? You know, at that young age, you know, at five years old, six, seven years old, or ADHD or bipolar, um, you know, in terms of you know, maybe being a little older in adolescent years at 15. Um, but however, you know, they're isolating themselves. They're doing certain things that a parent is like overlooking. They're not, you know, they're not seeing these things. So, you know, having problems in school and due to the stigma and shame, right? A family, a family member, or parents, you know, kind of avoids getting them help and tries to either fix it on their own or guess what? We see a lot of times they avoid it altogether. They call them the special child. Or, you know, the, the, that child is, you know, um, um, he's learning, he's, he's a little bit slower. You know, he's slow or, you know, those type of terms that are used in the house. Uh, systems, um, symptoms actually looking at uh, or actually exacerbated and the youth suffers more throughout his life. That's another outcome, right, of stigma. So as a result of the parent not acting, um, you know, sometimes they don't, they don't even know. But as a result, they don't act on the mental health. Um, they don't provide help. And um, as a result, the child, you know, has more, they go through more, in life and they had to because um, those those signs were ignored, you know, due to shame. So prolonged conditions, that's another outcome, you know, can result in chronic and physical health issues. And we talked um, before, you know, about uh, looking at the physical and mental health issues that can come through, you know, exacerbated mental health conditions over a long, long period of time. And also lack of representation. That's a big one. Uh, it can also discourage individuals in the community to pursue a career in the field because they don't see enough people who look like them. So they don't, they think the, the field isn't for, for them or it's not a field that, you know, that we go into. So that's some of the, some of the, uh, some of the biggest effects of stigma, I think, in my opinion. I, I got to tell you two things there before we go into the next uh, question, Christian, you being here is eliminating some of that stigma. I remember when I met you just a couple of years ago and we at Brother Rewell, uh, even in launching this platform, we sometimes have to work quite hard and, and aren't always successful in finding 
people of color, and then this is brother be well, so ideally men of color who are well-versed on a number of issues and, and topics that we wanted to talk about. So I remember learning of you, and I, I hope I didn't come across too aggressively. I said, we got to have that guy on this platform. So I really want to thank you for your contributions to this platform. Oh, it's been a blast. I've been, I've been enjoying it. And, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, the recruitment and the retention of, you know, finding um, black male therapists is really difficult in that representation field. And it matters. And, and before we go on, I also want to mention you talked about within families and how the terms we use for that, the uncle, the different child and all of that and the conversations. And we'll get into this in, in just a minute. But I can't uh, overstate. I really can't overstate how important it is to watch what you say to and in front of children. You're a marriage and family therapist. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. I remember being a kid and listening to overhearing, really. They didn't know I was listening, but a conversation between my mother and grandmother about mental health and therapy. And it was described, I'm not beating up on them, but it, they, they didn't know, they didn't have the information. It was described in such a disparaging way that when I found myself, no, when I realized I needed to take that step and seek out a talk therapist, that tape in the back of my head played, well, your mother said this and your grandmother said this. And of course, children believe adults, so we trust what they say, right? It didn't. It didn't occur to me that they were wrong. That they told me that, and so I believed it to be true. And that was quite a hurdle I had to get over before I ever wound up in a therapist's office. So, for parents and caregivers, just please, 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 be careful of what you say to and around children because they hear every word you say. Would you agree with me, Christian? Absolutely, and I think that's a good example of how a condition can be exacerbated and prolonged, right? Because it took you longer you know, to really work through um, the things you've heard, that tape playing in the background, right? So you have to unlearn, right, that, and then you have to relearn some of the healthy things, some of the healthy behaviors. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. Tell us about, um, ideally, in, in our families, we're talking about families right now. So those families should be our primary support system, right, with regard to a number of issues. When talking about mental health, in the context of stigma having set up shop in families that, and communities, that's what we're talking about. It seems to me at times, it's the enemy from within that we're talking about. And I don't personally think, and, and feel free to tell me if you think this is too much to stretch, you know me, Christian, sometimes I connect the dots that don't need to be connected. So tell me if I'm wrong on this one. But I don't think stopping stigma around mental health, I think stopping stigma rather around mental health, or at least mitigating stigma, could be considered a, a form of suicide prevention. We know that young people, particularly, but but all people, are committing suicide in part due to the stigma around mental health and depression that sets up when society or loved ones or family tell them, uh, give them those negative messages that they internalize about their own mental health condition. Do you think I'm right about that? Want to talk about that a little bit? Am I am I way out on, in left field, so to speak, on that one? No, you're right on. You're right on with it. And, you know, a lot of individuals, you know, when they uh, do commit suicide, you know, they do feel a level of hopelessness. Right. So they feel a few things. You know, they feel that no one understands them. They don't know where they're coming from. And it goes back to the family. If I go to my family, they'll make fun of me. They already have made fun of me. They're not supportive um, and they don't understand my situation. So I would agree. You know, um, they've been punished and made fun of, you know, to these conditions and the very ones who love them or say they love them, make them feel bad due to a lack of knowledge and uh, not knowing the signs. So those are the main things that kind of come into play. So, you know, understanding mental health and destigmatizing it 
is a form of, you know, uh, preventive measures for suicide. And, you know, shame is also a leading cause of why, you know, people commit suicide. They don't, um, and pride, right? Pride and ego. Um, and in cult- certain cultures, you know, you, um, you don't talk about it, you know, so you're, you're looking at several reasons why they could be uh, shameful about bringing it up and they figure, well, you know what, I'll just suffer in silence and then, you know, um, and deal with, you know, my decision. You know, they're, they're making a permanent decision for a temporary situation. Yeah, so true. It's so very true. And and we're committed here at Brother Be Well to doing everything we can to help turn that tide around a little bit. Appreciate your help in doing that, Christian. Um, as we talk about stigma, we're, we're talking about young people a little bit here. I, I also think that stigma has a bit of a generational hold. I think younger people seem to be much more open about talking about mental health. I was just in another Brother Be Well production uh, this week or last. And I was pleasantly surprised, but nonetheless shocked at the, the uh, transparency and the candor and the willingness for these young people to just talk about things that when I was their age, we never would have spoken of in public. I, you, we, we never, kids back in my day were never going to, and I sound like that old guy right back in my day, but back when I was a kid, we just wouldn't have sat in front of a group of peers and said, you know what, I feel like I'm really depressed. I'm quite sad. This happened to me and I'm stuck and I, I don't, I'm talking to my therapist about it. I think younger people are just really much more open than older folks are. Would you agree with me there, Christian? Oh yeah. And, and that gender, I mean, in, in that generation, you're talking about gender and ethnicity. So not only is it, you know, changing generationally between ages, but also with eth- ethnicities and, you know, uh, genders, you know, you know, have men talking about their emotions and feelings. And, you know, uh, I, same here. I was in a production recently this weekend, you know, was, uh, a group of men, you know, of different ages and youth, and they're all, you know, eloquently talking about mental health, not just, you know, um, uh, being novice at it, but they're able to really express their feelings and, you know, talk about some vulnerable situations and things. So, you know, um, I would say generation is changing. And once again, we're back to media, right? So so when you turn on the TV, you see commercials of better help, you know, and they're very relatable commercials to the youth, you know, um, you, you go online, TikTok, there's mental health TikToks and there's other things now that's really talking about it. And that's why I'm an advocate of, if you want to break mental health, just start talking about it because the more you talk about it, the more comfortable you feel on the subject. So um, I would say it's changing. And also with the younger generation, they're also, uh, I observe them correcting the older generation too. So I also see them, you know, correcting them on certain terms that are being used that may not be accepted anymore. And, you know, certain terms may be derogatory. So I see that as well. And the, and the uh, millennials and, you know, Gen X and, you know, um, Gen Z, you know, uh, all the d- different uh, new generations that are kind of correcting their um, their elders in a respectful way. That's really, really exciting to hear, Christian. And before I let you get out of here, I, I plan to ask you about that, how tips for young people to correct those patterns within their families. We'll get to that one in a second. I can't wait to talk about that. Let's, let's though, we're, we're getting at eliminating stigma. We've talked about stigma a lot. We, we realize you've helped us understand what it is, what it can do, how it can set up shop, the long-term uh, ramifications for allowing stigma to go unchecked. We know we got, got to get rid of it. And the, the, uh, the $65,000 question, uh, so to speak, is how do we do that? How do we get rid of stigma? You know, I kind of see it as, you know, as a muscle, right? You have to, you have to work it out. You have to u- utilize it and you have to start early. And that's what I say with, you know, with families and parents and caregivers who may be listening is you want to start early 
right? And uh, with your family and uh, have discussions around talking about your feelings. And if you haven't gotten started early, you can start now, you know, having those discussions, having family meetings, uh, you know, once a week, having check-ins or text check-ins, having a color uh, temperature checks, you know, there's a color meter, you know, red is angry, you know, blue is, you know, happy and, or, or to be depressed, having ch text check-ins with your family. How are you feeling right now? Just send me a color, you know, versus having expressed their feelings. There's little things you can do like that in terms of uh, eliminating the discussion. Also getting involved in the community, you know, and volunteering your children and parents too at mental health program facilities, you know, who are looking for advocates. There's lots of several programs that are always going on, you know, in events. And so it's uh, so really uh, getting involved that way so they can see that, you know, uh, things can be organized and these people are human. They're just like you, you know, and they're just dealing with another a medical condition. Um, also, reading and the education part is very important, you know, and knowing the signs and also you know what to do when and if you think a family member may be experiencing those mental health conditions, too, and how to act towards them. There's several um, youth books from ages, you know, reading books from zero all the way up, you know, about ch or children's books on mental health, expressing your feelings. Um, having a, a feelings chart in your home is good for children, too, to where they can point to how they're feeling that they don't have the words to verbalize. You know, so now you're talking about social emotional learning, SEL learning in that, in that capacity. And also, um, last, I would say really is really pointing out some of those old myths that were taught by your parents. That's the big one for the caregivers. Um, that's going to take some work for you to sit down as a parent and really think back about what were some of the things I learned about, you know, calling someone special or calling someone, you know, these, these terms or ignoring the signs or sweeping things under the rug, right? Or uh, that's not none of my business, you know, or you know, that's their business over there. You know, some of these uh, concepts and nuances and preconceived notions that were taught in your family, really sitting back and figure out what those are and maybe uh, cleaning them up and explaining how they aren't accurate to your children so they don't repeat that same, uh, that same pattern of behavior. That's a powerful set of tips, Christian. And and for me, part of my own journey, I touched on it earlier, so I'll just wrap that story up. What I, what I overheard between my mother and grandmother upon hearing that my uncle, my mother's brother, had been to therapy. He, he had gone through a really contentious, very bitter divorce, and he just shared, I, I'm in therapy. It's very hard for me. And, and even fear of losing custody of his children and then the, the dissolution of that marriage, it was just very hard for him. And what I what I heard was my mother and grandmother laughing and the comment that stuck in my head and it took a lot of work. You just said, do the work. It took me a long time to unlearn this statement. Only crazy people go to therapy. And as a young kid, I believed that. So then when I got stuck and someone I care about quite a lot suggested therapy, initially there was this block. I can't go to therapy because I'm going to be called crazy. And I know I'm not crazy. So, you know, everybody that goes to the therapist, a therapist is crazy. But luckily, even back in the day, I had an uncle, my uncle Fred, who said right in the moment, he said, you're crazy if you know you need help and you don't seek help. To me, that's crazy. So so he kind of redefined crazy for me. And thanks to my uncle Fred, who was long gone by the time I wound up in a therapist's office, I played that tape back to kind of counter the effects of, of the earlier one. You, I love what you said, Christian, do the work. And I, I also love, I got a little chill when you said start early. And if you didn't start early, start now. That's a powerful statement. Absolutely. The brain's always developing in the youth. You know, the brains develop up to in their twenties. So it's never too late to start new patterns and start that new way of operating in a family. 
Yeah, it's so powerful. Thanks for, for walking us through that, Christian. You've outlined a few uh, tips that are excellent, I think. And I was taking some notes as you went along. Before I let you get away, I want to dig just a little bit deeper. And we were, talk- we were talking earlier about you said you perceive youth correcting adults. And that's exactly where I want to go before we wind up. I think for some young people, it's a, it's a bit of a challenge to be the change agent, so to speak, in their own family. Telling your parents or an older caregiver literally or figuratively, I should say, looking up at a person who's in a position of authority and telling them you're wrong. You need to change that. That is incorrect. That that hurts me when I hear that. Those statements can be tough for a young person, I think. So as a marriage and family therapist, can you offer some tips to youth or young people who are in families that that have family members who haven't been as supportive about mental health as they need to be. And again, we're not beating up on those family members. In some cases, they haven't been uh, supportive because they just don't know how. But but can you offer some tips to those young people? How can they begin those conversations and how do they push through that that initial discomfort? Well, I think the first thing um, that you can do is uh, if you're not connected with a therapist already, is um, not just utilize a therapist to you know for your own needs, but you can also utilize a therapist to learn um, ways and skills to address these issues. For example, um, learning how to speak in "I feel" statements towards your parents. Um, when you do blank, I feel blank. That takes away the the uh, personalization that your family member, your parent may, may, um, may think you're doing. So when you go to them, you're just sharing to them how, how you feel, you know, and it's very factual, right? When you, um, when you talk down to me, it makes me feel sad and they can't really challenge that because it's your feeling. So really uh, working with a professional to learn how to communicate in a way to express your feelings is the first way, because a lot of times it, it, um, in that conversation, you know, trying to correct your parents, um, the, the message gets lost because maybe someone blew up or your wording wasn't, you know, uh, as pleasant as it could be. Uh, so learning how to say it is the first thing I would say. Um, second is also, you know, looking at other ways to communicate it by writing it down. You know, they could, you know, write a letter. It's, it's, uh, um, it's a different, it comes off different when you're writing something, you know, uh, explaining something, you know, um, when we're at the dinner table, you, you mentioned, you know, something about, you know, mental health and how and actually in reality, um, this is what it means. This is the act, uh, the act, the um, accurate part. And then know your resources. Uh, use, use quote, quote your site or your resources. Say where you got it from. Say, you know, the um, association, uh, the, the psychological association says this, you know, uh, the Internet is everywhere. So have, have a backup, have, have your sources so where if they challenge you, you're already educated in your area and you can talk about it in that way. Um, I'll also say, you know, um, uh, partner up with other youth. That's very powerful because that builds the confidence, right? When you hear other people talking about, you know, how they do it and the fact that they do do it, they, you know, uh, work with their family, things of that sort, talk about it because um, that builds your confidence. So um, you can go and talk to your parents in the right and correct and respectful way. And on top of that, be accurate and knowledgeable on it, too. So that's supposed to be things I would say uh, where I would start if you want to like bring that up with your parents and start that uh, start destigmatizing that conversation. I didn't really realize until uh, you got into the answer that 
question, Christian. That was a, 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 a former younger version of Michael P. Coleman that drafted that question because I was not the youth who knew how to broach the topic. So I was, I was the more explosive, what are you doing? And it was it probably playing it back in my head. There were some reasons why it wasn't received in quite, quite the right way. So I appreciate you walking through some some action steps. Those are some powerful action steps and things that are easy to do. Uh, citing sources is something that I live by. So that's a great idea. If you know you're going to be in a potentially contentious conversation, this isn't so much. This is me. I love the feeling stuff, too. But this isn't just me. You know, NAMI says this or or whatever your source is. This is what I read here. And then it's harder to to refute that if you're on the other side of that conversation. Great, great set of tips, Christian. Absolutely. Really want to thank you, sir, for this conversation. I, I feel like I'm saying that all the time. So much of the work that we do at Brother Be Well would not be possible without people like you. But specifically, this conversation uh, wouldn't have been what it was without you, sir. Christian Jacobs, marriage and family therapist and Brother Be Well Clinical Advisor. Thank you very much, Christian. Thanks for having me, Michael. It's really been a pleasure. It's been great. We'll talk to you next time, man. And I want to thank you for listening in to this particular podcast or video. Before we get into sponsorship of that, I want to give out a resource. We talked about suicide a little bit earlier. So I want to give this number out. It's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That number is 800-273-TALK or 800 273 8255. There's someone on the other end of that line. If you feel like you need a little help there and you'd like to talk to someone, they're available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that line's available in English and Spanish. Again, 800-273-8255. I want to thank our sponsor for this particular video, Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative. That initiative boosts access to mental health support. You can learn all about it at bluesky.blueshieldca.com. That's bluesky.blueshieldca.com. Another quick website that I want you to hang on to as well. It's Brother Be Well site. It's brotherbewell.com. We made it easy for you. Go to brotherbewell.com, sign up as a member. Memberships are completely free and you can find out all about behavioral health topics for boys and men of color, 12 and up, African-American, Latinx, Asian and Pacific Islander, Native and Indigenous, and the LGBTQIA plus community members that inform and enhance those cultural communities. All of that information, podcasts, uh, videos just like this one, print pieces, links to resources, it's all at brotherbewell.com. You can sign up as a member. Right now, memberships are free, so you can be our newest member at brotherbewell.com, and we love it when we get new members. And then while you're there, sign up for our blog as well. Give us your email address, and two or three times a week, You'll get notifications in your inbox when videos or podcasts just like this one go live. So take care of all that, if you would, at brotherbewell.com. My name, Michael P. Coleman. I'm content director for Brother Be Well, and I don't want you to feel like I'm giving you a ton of homework. But one more thing, if you could do it for us, we'd be really happy. Take great care of yourself. And everything we're doing is designed to try to help you do that. Once you get that down, reach out to somebody that's struggling and help take care of them, too. The world will be a better place. I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for your attention. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Brother Be Well podcast. I'm Leon Guidry. Shout out to our sponsor, Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative. It takes a village and we're doing our part to address and heal trauma while supporting parents and caregivers along the way. Thanks for stopping by. And remember, my brothers, be well.